Hi friends, Taylor from Doom to Fail. Today we are re-releasing episode 8, part 1, about the DC snipers. I don't know if you are old enough to remember this, but it was crazy. There was a time in Maryland in the DC area where people were just getting randomly shot at the gas station and, you know, out in public in, in parking lots. And it, I wish that we have a good reason for why, but it's there's not a good reason even after we know all the details so please enjoy our episode let us know if you have any thoughts or questions or at doom to fill pot at gmail.com thanks the matter of the people of the state of california versus orenthal james simpson case number ba Two weeks ago, no electricity. A week ago in Florida. This week, Ugh. RSV. Um, next week, I'll probably get hit by a truck. We'll see. But well, uh, yeah, good times. You no, know, don't, don't things come in threes? Maybe you're over it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that is it. Yeah, yeah that's so, a really good point. Yeah, it's yeah. all it's all uphill from here. I think you're fine. Yeah. Um. So yeah, on on that note, uh, I will say my drink for today is tea and honey because yes. I need it. That's a good one. That's good for you. You do need that. I apologize. I'm sniffling a little bit too. So apologies for all the sniffles. Mine are allergy related, I think. But um, we're going to sniffle a lot during this episode, I imagine. So far, I know you're going to go first, but just to get us prepped, my drink is, um, once again, circling back to our episode one, we're going to go straight vodka because we're going to talk about some Russians. So we will get to it when we get to it, but I'll let you go first. Lovely. And I'm going to start out, I think I can start out by saying congratulations to our good friends, Beth and Jay. Who, oh, I just saw that yesterday. Who are engaged. It seems like it's, it, it seems like, it, I mean, it's been a week, so it feels like it's public enough now to where we can actually say stuff. So congratulations, guys. Oh, really congratulations. We love you guys so much. So cool. That so is cool. going to be a fun, fun wedding. Oh my God. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, okay. So hold on one sec, Taylor. Fars is pausing to cough and go yell at his dog. That's what's happening right now. I'm looking at Fars's office. He has a white chair, which is very, very brave. He's back. And I'm back. Great. Okay. I narrated while you were gone. What'd you say? You'll, you'll find out when you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So today's kind of a special episode on the true crime front because it's kind of a double whammy i'm going to be discussing two different types of relationships that were doomed to fail one is a romantic relationship between our main antagonist of the story and the other is a father-son type relationship that was also doomed to fail Ooh, i know double whammy day the key know, to like dominant it. the key oh, wait. Dominant... no go ahead I'm so sorry to interrupt you Fars, but i forgot to tell you that i have a note for you for, I know I'm, I'm personally not taking notes, but um, I have a note from you. Just kidding. Um, from my husband wanted to hear more of the of the gross stuff. He said, "I want to hear the gross stuff." So, well, unfortunately, <laughs> this one doesn't. Uh, well, then tell him to stay tuned next week. Cause I have a pretty good one for next week. This one's gonna okay. be pretty like slapdash robbery style stuff going okay. on. So, um, that one, me and you are aligned there. Okay. So the key denominator of both of these failed relationships is a singular asshole named John Allen Muhammad. Taylor, does that name ring a bell? No. Okay. Maybe later. Not you, yet. You may also know them, him, them, by their media branded name, either the Beltway Sniper or the DC Sniper. You, okay, yes. Yeah. This is this is That's such... not that doesn't sound like slapdash robbery. It sounds like hor horrible. Murder. I know, but I, I know, but I didn't know how to like say it without giving away. What <laughs> okay, great, you're great. Um, so this one's like 
this was like a super meaty topic. There's so many moving pieces to it. I could have probably researched this for like a solid week and still not have gotten to everything that was going on here. There's so many details. A lot of things going on. People are moving between different states, different countries, different people coming in and out of everybody's lives. I'm really doing like the top level version of this. I'm going to reference a podcast that was a, um, a part of my sources for this later on. Um, it's called um, You're Wrong About. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're still active really because I know that there was like the, the team kind of stopped doing the shows together. Like I highly recommend checking them out, especially for their episodes on the DC sniper case because they did it in, I think it was four parts, probably somewhere around eight to 10 hours worth of content just on this. I'm going to wrap this up in 30 minutes. So obviously there's a lot that I'm going to be leaving out. So yeah, I think I listened more. to an entire series called the DC sniper. Yeah. 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 Uh, on you're wrong about. No, a different one. Like the, the podcast was like a called DC Sniper. It was like deep dive into it. Yeah, so much, a lot. so many details. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the other party to this crime was, I'm just going to go ahead and call him a child. His name is Lee Boyd Malvo. And I'll start at the top by addressing one part of this that based on how this was framed in the media. So this was always framed in the media as terrorism. I looked up the actual formal definition of terrorism, and the definition of it is the intentional use of violence and fear to achieve political or ideological aims. The events we're discussing started five months after September 11th. Mm -hmm. So at that point, nearly everything was called terrorism. If you remember, Taylor, like this was around the time that the anthrax thing was going on too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Everyone was scared. I mean, obviously, you know, I feel like that. And then... I had it. I mean, I was in I was in New York on 9/11, but I was in a bubble. I was in college and I like didn't know anything about the world really, and I hadn't even really like defined terrorism at all. You know, like, I wasn't aware of everything that was going on in the world until then. You know, so and then I was scared. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like people were like telling me that like my guy friends were going to be drafted. You know, like we were who knew there's all these rumors and like weird shit going on. So yeah, everything was terrorism then. I remember we talked about the, what you being in New York on nine 11, you seem to have gotten exposure that me being in Texas definitely did not get. Yes. Um, so that's awful in its own way. But the, um, I'm, I'm going to, I bring up the terrorism thing because I'm going to, I'm going to put an alternate point on this and say that it was not terrorism because this actually was not ideological or politically motivated in any way we actually know why john in particular did what he did and i'm gonna frame this as john doing it because this is very charles mansony where he like he controlled things i mean he was controlling a child so like he was the antagonist in all this i'm gonna get into his motives at the end actually because they're so stupid. It'll it'll blow you away. I'm going to go through all this and then you I'll get to the motive and you'll say that was it. That was the Ugh. plan and just like all these people died for this. It's going to be kind of shitty to say. The the other part of the whole terrorism piece was a it made better headlines. And also they kind of had to call it terrorism because they really 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 wanted to put John to death when they caught him. And they did. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert. So, I mean, it's been like 12, 12, 12, 10, 12 years. So if you don't know by now, John Al Muhammad was put to death. That, well, also, never mind. You, you, I, I want to come back to it, but like you, you keep going. That, uh, that's, a, that's a link between our being put to death is a link between our stories today. So continue. Yes. Um, so I'm going to start with John. And I'm going to say that like when I, as I was learning about this guy and reading about him, he really reminded me of Donald Trump. Like in the sense that if he's not right or if he is challenged in any way, he doesn't understand how to deal or cope with that. Like he just yeah. goes megaton on whatever is in his way. Like like taking a Sharpie and changing the way path of a hurricane. I was just talking about that last week when I was at that conference in Florida and I was like, that was my favorite moment of the Trump presidency. Like, what are you talking about? You don't know everything. Oh my god. So, but yeah, totally. I can't imagine having someone like that, like as your dad or as your husband. Like you'd just be like, you just give up. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
and yeah, like he goes, he goes megaton in any situation. And there's a specific reason why he goes megaton in this situation in the, in the DC Beltway area. This all goes over a span of about eight months. It actually doesn't even start in DC. We'll get into like where it actually begins. It culminates in DC. And that's why we're kind of, we kind of reference it that way. Um, but much like every morning I cover, like I mentioned, the motivations on why he does what he does turn out to be ultimately incredibly stupid and don't actually he doesn't achieve his goals which good he shouldn't right i'm not going to go much into the john's early life other than some details that will become relevant later on john was actually born with the last name williams he changed his last name after joining the nation of islam i should know and i don't know if you know this taylor but the nation of islam is listed on the southern poverty laws website with a hate group designation there's a lot of the material that I read out there that comes up later on in John's life as he becomes more and more indoctrinated that has to do with ethno purism. I don't know what, what you'd call yeah. it. Just like, like anti race. It, it was, it's all bad. Like it's none of it's like, none of it mm-hmm. cultivates like a mind that is like full of butterflies and you know, uh, rainbows. Like it cultivates a right. mind of like everybody's the enemy. Fuck everybody. That's not me. And I have a question that I feel like, I don't want to make sound wrong, but did he, did that happen in, in prison? I feel no. like it didn't. Okay. Cause I feel like people convert to Islam in prison and get radicalized. No, no, this came about because of the second point I'm going to bring up, which is his um, second wife, Mildred, <laughs> who seems to be a great woman. And she ran across the nation of Islam and really liked the clean living aspect of it. Less the, ideological components of it and um brought john into it as a result of that okay cool so yeah the second point is that he's been married and divorced twice and mildred is the biggest focal point of the story that's the second wife okay and the last point that it's that john was in the military for a very long time and he was actually given multiple awards as an expert marksman oh yeah not great for dc come in handy yeah We'll see. So let's go ahead and circle back to wife number two. So let's look, talk about a tortured woman. Um, Again, you're married to essentially Donald Trump, but like without the money, it's not, it's worth noting that most of what we know about John comes from Mildred. Like he's not very loquacious as it comes to discussing his own life. Mm -hmm. So we mostly know about her or him through her. In 1983, Mildred was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She was 23 years old and working and just going to church. By all accounts, she's kind of a simple person, doesn't have much in the way of romantic relationship experience. And it's at this time she meets John at a grocery store and John asks her out. Um, When I was was single for like five minutes of my life, my friend told me to go to the grocery store and stand in the vegetable aisle to meet, meet men. He was like, you'll know that they're responsible and that they care about themselves. And that's the best place to find guys. Is that where you met Juan? It's not, but I don't think that's a terrible idea. It's weird. Standing there. <gasps> How long did you stand, stand there? there? I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm just saying that's not weird. I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look up a picture of Mildred. Mildred. Okay, continue. I see her. So at this point, John teased this up with her as wanting to jump straight into a relationship. It kind of reminds me of like an old timey courting thing where this was a date to marry thing. And John mm-hmm. basically teases up that way for Mildred as well. She's not very experienced in relationships. He kind of says, let's just get serious. So they get serious. From what John did tell Mildred over the course of their time together, he didn't have an easy childhood. His mom died when he was young and he went off to live with a grandfather who was apparently a piece of work. Mm-hmm. He's a closed book from here on out. He doesn't like revisiting his past, but given what we learn about his character later on, all this kind of tracks. Mm-hmm. Shitty childhood. There's a lot of details there, but we'll just leave it at that. Okay. So red flag number one, as the relationship gets serious, Mildred learns that John is already married to someone oh. named Carol. Boo. <laughs> he has two sons. I don't get this. I don't... Maybe maybe I just don't have as much time as other people. But carrying on one relationship is hard enough. Carrying a relationship with children is harder. Yeah. Carrying a relationship with children and then a side relationship is 
how do you have the mental maybe i'm lazy that's what it is maybe I'm yeah no you lazy. need to really commit to it i think is, is part of it yeah and is there like a what okay nowadays just for our listeners is there a way to check if someone's married i guess i feel like are people not telling people they're married like can you do a full background check on someone when they pick you up at the grocery store i mean i would there's got to be other signs right is there an indentation on their wedding ring finger uh, like poor mildred yeah seriously um yeah she learned all this through a friend she confronts john who explains the marriage was falling apart she buys it and the relationship carries on there's so many details between these two facts all of which make mildred sound like a saint and john like he should be very grateful to be with her but yeah. whatever she gets back with john a lot of interesting things happen here and then ultimately mildred breaks up with john this is before Good. they're married oh Late so they get married so they get back together Ooh. exactly uh he, yeah later he convinces her to get back together and then in 1988 they get married so did you think it divorced yeah yeah they, yeah okay the carol, the carol relationship ended okay however it ended okay so they're married now mildred is pregnant with john's child and learns that john is cheating on her with a 19 year old named danielle how old is john at this point john would be in his mid-30s yeah uh he's been apparently seeing her for six months again i don't understand how like god i'm just i don't am i like i'm doing things like how do you have the strength and the energy to do this and like how, and like planning a wedding in the middle of that <laughs> it's also like, hard yeah doing a prenatal care and it's a 19 year old so you know that it's probably not just like dinners every now and then you probably got to go to some shows like <laughs> I don't get I don't get it but Mildred learns about this and invites Danielle over to the house to confront John there's a lot of details I'm glossing over she doesn't invite her over she goes and picks Danielle up she calls Danielle goes over to the house picks her up brings her back to her house to confront John oh my god I love Mildred I I'm also lo I'm looking at her picture this whole time and she just looks awesome so I'm just like imagining her being mad and she just looks so cool she has like a beautiful headscarf on and all of her photos and she looks she just she's she looks like a boss I she turns out okay, I think, at the end of the story from these pictures of her. And so I'm just like, yeah. good on you, Mildred. Continue. Yeah. It's hilarious. So, like, John comes home. Danielle is in the kitchen. Mildred is like, what, what, you know, John's like, what's for dinner? He's like, go in the kitchen. We'll find out. He goes to the kitchen and <laughs> sees Danielle. This is incredible. So, also, <sighs> in the middle of all this, one of John's friends, James, apparently – he was supposed to go pick up lotto tickets for for james and so james came over to the house in the middle of all this to pick up his lotto tickets he's sitting in the, like, the living room like i just keep picturing this guy james like what's going on like who what the hell did i just walk into yeah he probably thought he'd come over and get some like leftover dinner um anyways they hash us out john says i'm over it with danielle sorry danielle we have to break up because here's my six month pregnant wife that I have to stick with. Um, and then apparently James drives Danielle home. <laughs> <laughs> what a day for James. Did he win the lottery? Is he doing okay? <laughs> we don't know. I, I, I did think I was like, this could actually be kind of a meet cute if, um, if James had capitalized on it, but I guess oh he did it. So funny. Um, anyways, they end up having a kid. His name is Little John. Little. I know not lil they later have a second child a daughter named selena uh and in general it just seems like john mostly ignored the responsibilities of being a good husband and mildred kind of was on her own to raise the kids and mind the house because also throughout all this it seems like implicit that john is also just cheating on mildred constantly is so it a job so sort of sort okay. of they start a business together where john's apparently really good with cars and he would just go around and fix cars but like that's also how he would end up Meatball. being with women yeah i mean that's how you do it it's not that he's superhuman you just ignore your responsibilities and then you right, have like to... during the work day yeah. while you're stopping by at multiple women's houses yeah there's also like just kind of hilarious but like weird side stories going on here about john's behavior so one time apparently he went to the salvation army and just brought home some random dude he befriended there and said that 
this guy's gonna be living with them like weird it's it sounds i wrote down this sounds like something homer simpson would do it kind of <laughs> is though like, like, it's like it just shows up with some random right. dude um and so obviously it's kind of implicit at this point that john is in some capacity emotionally abusing mildred mm-hmm. he seems like someone who just can't handle any lack of control but it's a weird kind of abuse it's not like physical beatings it's not like just constantly screaming at her it's just it's abuse done by henpecking the shit out of her mm-hmm. it was also like i said before like it's also clear like she's also aware that there's cheating going on at this time like he's doing everything to make her feel like a second class citizen in her own home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. talk shit about everything the food how she raised the kids pretty much anything that would come up you'd find a reason to just uh, critique her about it mm-hmm John suggests that they divorce at this point, which by all accounts devastates Mildred. She's invested hmm. a lot in this. Yeah. And she thinks about it and then ultimately decides, yeah, okay, that's probably a good move. We should probably should do this. He didn't expect that. He wanted her to say, of course we're not going to divorce. Like, I love you. You're so great. Like, again, psychological BS. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> uh, doesn't work. So he they do some couples counseling and ultimately it's just decided that like this isn't mildred mildred puts her foot down at this point it's like i'm not doing this anymore we're 100 done he does a bunch of shit because he lacks control he does a bunch of shit to make the divorce as bad as possible for her mm-hmm. not providing enough support for the kids and they also don't have a formal child custody arrangement in place so they would just swap the kids back and forth and there was a story here that John came to the house one day and saw the cupboards were full of food. And this might've been what set him off because he thought that she was sleeping with somebody else. And that guy was providing for them mm-hmm. because he wasn't because right. the money that he was providing wasn't enough to fill the cupboards full of food. That was what happened. One of her friends came over to the house and saw that Mildred had lost a bunch of weight and mm. was like, we're handling this right now and went to the store and bought her whatever she needed. That's what ended up happening. Yeah, but the idea is that the thought process was that he thought he thought he lost that other element of control over her, which was like I can control what you can actually eat, which is an insane way to think about humans, and yeah, that's kind of what set him off. Mm-hmm. So around this time, she lets him have the kids for the regularly scheduled custody thing, and he keeps them, and at the same time empties their joint bank accounts completely. Oh no! Yeah, I watched a a recent unsolved mysteries I think about um kids who are kidnapped by a parent and it was really sad you know like one parent just like takes the kids and leaves the country or just disappears and the other parent you know never finds them or knows where they are but can't go because it's dangerous and things like that so super sad and scary yeah apparently that's the most common way kids get kidnapped i didn't yeah. know that i was yeah. I found that out researching this Ugh. so there's a lot that goes on here around like john calling and harassing mildred and yada 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 mildred ultimately she, whatever i'm not gonna go into the details but ultimately mildred decides that she has to go live in a woman's shelter a she has no money and b yeah. she feels threatened by john and mm-hmm. his existence she ends up living under an assumed name and going to live in this shelter all this is going on in washington state okay so at this around this time um Mildred's mother gets a house in Maryland, um, which for those that aren't familiar with the geography of the area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, it's all one thing. Like people who work in D.C. live in Maryland. They live in Virginia. They bounce mm-hmm. around back and forth. Like it's basically like one giant metro area. And it's, mm-hmm. just, it's intentionally designed that way. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing about what's going to come. Going back to John and the kids, when John got custody that day, he almost immediately put them on a plane to to Antigua. This will become relevant again shortly, but the simplest version of what was going on here is that he put the kids on this plane, they go to Antigua, and then he basically makes a living forging documents for Jamaican immigrants who are trying to immigrate to the U.S., and that's basically his life. He just goes around forging documents, taking care of the kids, and that's kind of it for the time being. Okay. So let's go ahead and segue to the other main character of the story. Enter Lee Boyd Malvo. So Lee That was name the... is awesome, by the way. It is, right? I feel like Malvo is it is the word Malvo in Harry Potter somehow? I feel like it's like 
someone's name or it's like Draco Malfoy moved around or it's like Tom Riddle or whatever. Just it feels very like a very Harry Potter name. It does. I'm gonna I went down a rabbit hole in my mind of who that could have been. Um <laughs> no, he sounds like he designs very, very nice like gator shoes, you know? Yeah, okay. It's a very cool name. Mm-hmm. So Lee was born in 1985 in Jamaica to a woman named Una. Una was, I mean, I'm not going to go into a lot of details. She sounds pretty shitty. She sounds like a terrible mom. She just beat the hell out of this kid and just abandoned him constantly. You look at pictures of Lee, which I would encourage you to to, to try that. Um, to me, he just constantly has the eyes of like a scared kid, like an unloved, scared child. There's a lot of bounce around that happens here. Una moves to St. Martin leaving lee at home with neighbor like he's just abandoned constantly i mean she's doing it to make money and support the family but like don't just leave your kid with random strangers there's there's weird stories that happen it's i mean i don't know i'll I'll do this for juan because he wants to know the gross stuff at one point lee like befriends a cat who comes over to the house and una makes him beat the cat because like he can't have a cat and then like he beats the cat until it's bloody and then the cat finally goes away and then anytime the cat came over he had to beat him like it's just why do this like what is that's terrible yeah Yeah. um so long story short is that eventually between jamaica saint martin so on and so forth una and lee end up in antigua did you find a picture of lee i did yes what did you think he he just looks he looks like i mean so many of the pictures, he's just it's like when I guess when the trial was, it's just a kid, you know, and he just he looks very sad. He just looks like a sad kid. Yeah. I know he does bad things, but he does look very sad. He looks he makes me sad. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So, like I said, they ended up in Antigua and it, all because of Uno's job and wanting to make money there. Um, yeah. I, I wrote here that if this was like a movie or a story about animals written by Disney, Lee would just be like a basset hound. Nobody would adopt at the shelter. Like he's Aww. just, he just wants, I don't know. It, it's, it sucks. So fortunes collide in Antigua because Una decides that she wants to immigrate to the U S and given John's side hustle or only hustle of forging documents, she takes Lee to see John. That's mm-hmm. where the two come together for the very first time. For whatever reason, Lee starts going over to John's to hang out and, you know, it seems like it's a pretty tight-knit immigrant community there. Una tells Lee at one point that she basically left. She left for Florida. doesn't tell him. Like, this is a pattern. Like, she'll pick up the mm-hmm. phone, call him. He doesn't see her for a couple of days. And then she's like, I'm in another state, another country. Yeah. John figures out what's going on. And I don't know. It seems like it's almost out of, like, altruism that he goes over there and tells Lee to pack his things and come stay with him. Mm-hmm. So he finally gives him the thing that he wants, that father figure. So their dynamic is one where Lee kind of takes care of the house and the kids while John does whatever it is that he does. So he kind of takes on like a housewife, <laughs> like approach to this, like as a yeah. like, year old or 12 year old. No, he's more old than that. He would have been like 13, 14, I think. But mm-hmm. um, John being a military guy, he just has this military mindset of you have to be stern, strict and disciplined. I only bring it up because when you're an aimless kid, I can see why that personality type would be alluring. Yeah. Like you'd want someone who takes charge, gives you comfort and safety when your whole life has been abused and cast aside by everyone who should have loved you, right? Yeah, totally. So ultimately, John is arrested for forging documents. John gets out of jail. By some accounts, he literally just walks out because it's easy living in Antigua. And then John, the kids, and Lee all get on a plane with forged documents and head to the U.S., so john takes the kids to bellingham washington and lee goes to florida to be with una because una again had left to go to florida i've actually been to bellingham it is stunning it is one of it is so beautiful it, it is i don't what's the show i'm thinking about oh my god andy griffin whatever that andy show. Griffith? yeah what's that show it's a, isn't it just the andy griffith show yeah, it's very small towny. It's very yeah, small yeah. town and pretty. <laughs> Lots of breweries. Um, the Pacific Ooh. Northwest loves their breweries. So John moves into a homeless shelter with the kids, which is noted as odd by anybody who observes this because, for better or worse, homeless shelters don't really see a large influx of single men showing up with, like, a brood of children. Like, that's mm-hmm. a, that's kind of red flaggy right there. Yeah. 
Mildred had obviously reported the kids missing. And so when John applies for food stamps, the system flags this. They become aware of like, be on the lookout for a single guy with three kids. Yeah. Investigators start digging into this. They interview the kids and they end up giving their real names and the jig is up and Mildred is reunited with the kids finally. Oh, good. Yeah. So at this point, I promise I'm not going to go into legal procedure this time. An emergency hearing is held for the custody of the kids, which to me is the pivotal moment for everything that happens hereafter. Mm -hmm. The judge give Mildred custody of the kids. Good. Yes. John is pissed. What did he expect? For a guy who, for a guy who needs control, this was a massive, massive breaking point. Yeah. This moment is basically what leads to everything that comes next. People who knew John would talk about how this moment is the moment that changed him. Like he just stay up crying all night, and like he just couldn't handle what was happening. What the fuck did he think was going to happen? Oh, you seem like a great dad. I mean, person who just kidnapped your children. He also thought he was a great husband, despite him picking his wife to death. So he didn't have the best logic. No. So, yeah, because at this point, he viewed Mildred as the one who made him kind of lose everything. Which, like, okay, but like, what were her alternatives? Not to fight for her kids? Not to try yeah. and get them back safely? Yeah. At this point, John goes back to the homeless shelter. And he calls Lee because he's lost everything. And he's just grappling, trying to grasp for whatever he can. He calls Lee and tells him to come up to Washington. This happens in October of 2001. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking. Continue. What were you thinking? Was I making a weird face? When you what? Was that, why, why, why are you asking? I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about this. I was just thinking about, you know, the, the, the John, like, calling Lee for, like, helping you. Like, this is a grown-ass man, you know, who's, like, going through an emotional thing calling a teenager. It's fucking weird. It's weird. And like, I just was thinking about that because I was like, that's like something that you teach your kids is like, grown ups don't need kids for help. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. a grown up should never ask. If a grown up asks you for directions, like, they're trying to kidnap you. Grown ups don't need kids for help. Like, they can, they, they can talk to other adults. You know, like, they shouldn't have to be talking to a kid. Line. So, yeah. Yeah. If you can identify it. Lee would later mention that the pain he heard in John's voice about talking about his kids being taken away from him just kind of hit him a certain way. Like, mm -hmm. he. Like, in a way that was like, man, I wish somebody cared about me that much. Right. Or that kind of a thing. Ugh. So, Lee looked at his situation and his mom and the abuse he faced with her. And then John, who had never been mean to, mean to him, and he made, really, the rational decision to leave his mm -hmm. mom to go be with Lee in Bellingham. Yeah. The story is basically Lee called John uh, to wire him money for a bus ticket, which John did. To get him up to Washington from Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing I mentioned that podcast you're wrong about that I thought was really good was uh -huh. they mentioned how sometimes a person can make an extremely bad decision for reasons that make perfect sense. And that's. Yeah. So this. Mm -hmm. I totally get why he did what he did. Absolutely. His mom was not nice to him. He doesn't have anything like solid in his life except this man who, who was nice to him. So Taylor, I'm going to uh, sidetrack here. I've been in situations before where I knew that if I let something play out the way it seemed like it was going to play out, mm -hmm. there would be dire consequences. Mm -hmm. But for anybody else to care, the dire consequences would have to be realized. As opposed to mm -hmm. how do you take action before the thing you see playing out in your mind happens mm -hmm. i mean I've, you know like, i'm not gonna go into details about it here but like i've definitely done things where it's like i knew that outcome was gonna happen if i didn't take action but i had yeah. no legal way of taking action so i'm like whatever i'm just gonna do whatever i gotta do to make this thing not happen and yeah and that i thought about school shootings and how you know it's like oh well my 18 year old son who's a senior in high schools he's legally it's his property right to have a bunch of guns and it's just like there's times when you can see the outcome in your mm -hmm. mind and it is okay to be like, fuck the law and what that guy's property rights are or what they're like, yeah. <laughs> any rights are like, you know, what's going to end up happening if you don't mm -hmm. do something, but like, you don't, in a lot of cases, 
most people think they don't have a choice. They got to wait until the horrible, horrible thing happens. Then right. everybody else. Can. Right. Right. That's what reminded me of this. I'm like, there's so many people that came in and out of Lee's life who could have. Like, I don't care that she's your mom. Like, yeah. fuck her parental rights. Like, she's a horrible, horrible mom who keeps abandoning you. And mm-hmm. you're clearly a shattered shell of a child. Mm-hmm. Like, just, I'm going to, I'll just take the kid. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, that sucks. I mean, it feels like he, well, it feels like Lee didn't have much of a chance because of that, for sure. And I don't know, like, I do know that, I mean, sometimes, like, even with, like, child custody things, like, you end up with a parent who's abusive. Or because they have, you know, more money or whatever in yeah. a better lawyer or something like that. I mean, it sounds like the best thing that happened for, for John's kids is that they, that Mildred got custody of them, even though that is the thing that like sparked John kind of going over the edge. I think it's still like good for the kids that they don't have to be with him anymore because he kidnapped them. And yeah. imagine like who, who knows what he was telling them also like about their mother and about the government, you know, like who knows what he was like what he could have molded his kids to be. Yeah. That was probably yeah. Something the same idea. Yeah. Well, I bring it up here because going to the next part, he's on his way to Washington. This is kind of game over because mm-hmm. this next section, I headline brainwashing because at this mm-hmm. point it's kind of like done. Like the, the, the cast has been died. Is that the word? No, the die has been cast. Thank you. The die has been, <laughs> the die has you gotta, you gotta, have your cake and eat it too. Eat your cake and have it too. You know, whatever. Kaczynski? Kaczynski, yeah. Okay, so I I think under any circumstance, a, a healthy human probably isn't wired to kill a person unprovoked. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of brainwashing that starts happening here between John and Lee. Like Lee, or John brainwashing Lee. There's also another part of this that struck me about how, how much time matters depending on the age that you're at. Like, I remember when I was in elementary school and thinking a year was the longest time I could possibly conceive of. Yeah. And you look at this situation, like, this is only like a year to a year and a half of Lee's life, but that's like a, that means he's like a fairly significant chunk. Like, his relationship with John is like a fairly significant chunk of his life. So he right. listens to him. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, I hate to, you know, excuse find excuses for bad behavior but obviously i feel for lee given his background his impressionability his youth and the fact that mm-hmm. he's just getting brainwashed by a psychopath essentially yeah 100 so during this time you know like i said john indoctrinates lee on nation of islam stuff like not like anything positive like it's all like the negative stuff around like supremacy and whatnot um they go to gun ranges and train his marksmanship quite a bit one detail that I that I read that was amazing was that John would put up uh, targets that had Lee's own face on them that he had to shoot. What? Yeah. That is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they start forming this kind of father-son bond, but it feels like kind of like an abusive father-son bond of like, you have to listen unequivocally to what I tell you to do. Like, there yeah. is no middle ground, and mm-hmm. he gets that. Like, that's exactly yeah. what, what Lee becomes to him. So let's get started with the crimes. So like I said, the shootings didn't actually start in D.C. They escalated to – they escalated from murders in Washington, which is where Lee and John are this time. Mm-hmm. So back State, when – right? Washington State. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Not D.C. So back when John was married to Mildred, Mildred had a friend who stepped in and helped them with understanding basically like general accounting principles for businesses. I have had a crash course on this and can tell you that it's not fun, but several things that I'll intuit from this experience, having done it myself, was it is a, it's like being explained like a toddler, how basic finance works Mm -hmm. (laughs) from somebody who actually understands it. And I can imagine John having a woman step in and explain this stuff to him was emasculating in some capacity. Yeah, totally. And then later when the separation and custody battle was taking place, this woman took Mildred's side. So John had multiple reasons to like, he, it sounds like he really simmered on how much he hated this woman. Mm-hmm. Her name is Isa. I keep saying this woman, her name is Isa Nichols. Okay. So in February of 2002, Lee was told to go to this woman's house and shoot her in the head. Mm. 
Unfortunately for everyone, Ice's niece, Kenya, was at the house and opened the door. Lee shot her in the face and killed her. She was 21 oh, no. years old. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Again, I, there's so many of these. I'm kind of just going to list them off. Mm-hmm. Because it's just someone shows up, gets shot in the face. Someone shows up. Like, it's just that over and over and over again. A month later, they go to Tucson, Arizona. A six-year-old man named Jerry Taylor was shot at long range on the golf course. Um, we don't know for sure who did this. But the reason it comes up is because Lee and John were in Tucson at the time. And John's sister lived near this golf course. And so the idea was it had to be these guys. In August, yeah. a man named John Gaeta was changing a tire that had been slashed by Lee in a parking lot in Louisiana. Lee came up from behind and shot him in the neck. The guy plays dead, Lee steals his shit, and then the guy runs to seek help, and he ultimately survives. September was a super busy month for them. The following, it's just bullet points, it all happened in September. They shot a guy named Paul LaRuffa, who was a pizzeria owner six times. He survived. An employee at a liquor store named Benny was shot, but survived. Another liquor store employee named Muhammad was shot and survived. A 41-year-old employee of another liquor store was shot. This one was actually killed. They shot and killed someone named Hong M. Ballinger in Louisiana. Like, they just, like, are going on a spree, right? This is just their, their berserker spree mode. So this leads us from September into October, which is when they enter the D.C. metro area. Again, all this is going to tie back to a motive, and it's all going to sound really stupid. At the start of October, a 55-year-old man named James Martin was shot and killed in a parking lot uh, of a grocery store in Maryland. The next day, four people were shot and killed within a two-hour window of time in one Maryland neighborhood, and another was killed in D.C. proper. All of these shootings were done at distance with a high-powered rifle. At this point, John and Lee had moved into um, Virginia. They'd moved on in, into that territory, in that region. They shot a woman named Carolyn Sewell, who survived the shot to the chest somehow. They shot a 13-year-old on his way to middle school. They shot a man named Dean Harold Meyer while he was pumping gas. They shot a businessman named Kenneth Bridges and killed him while he was also pumping gas. And they shot and killed an FBI analyst named Linda Franklin at a Home Depot parking lot. It's just spree. Um, I think I like read um, some or saw something about this where more like a woman who was at the gas station one of the guys was shot and she was like it's so confusing because you're like what the hell is going on you know yeah. it's like in in um is it in the jerk when he's like it's cancer exploding do you remember that oh yes <laughs> yes what a great I was trying movie. to shoot him because like you're like well where is it coming from and then I, the woman that the story that's like i feel like maybe one of those guys that was shot at the gas station she was like she ran out to help him and she was like someone come help help me and everybody in the store was like no because we know that and the police were like we're not coming because we know that like someone is shooting randomly and they've already shot this place so they like, didn't want to yeah. come but she was like trying to do it you're like because someone gets shot in front of you just pumping gas you're like it takes you to like a different reality you're like what is happening you know and you can just like be standing somewhere and get shot that's crazy yeah it's like anytime- scary say anytime something happens that like breaks the matrix you're like yes did that happen like what's going on what's going on yeah so it took five days for them to take action again like for them to start doing this again and on october 19th they shot a guy named jeffrey hooper in a parking lot of a steakhouse then two days later a bus driver was shot while just basically standing outside of the bus depot yeah they're on a i mean but, but like i hate to put it this way but like you're broke you have no money you live out of a car. I mean, this was probably the most exciting and interesting thing they could do all day is just go around finding people to shoot. Like, it's a horrible way to think about it, but like... Totally. I mean, I, I mean they probably... I don't know. I, you'll, you'll get to the motive, but I feel like they probably felt like they were doing, like, something, right? It was incredibly stupid. I'm, I'm oh. never going to lay off that. So you'll notice that, obviously, they're bouncing around quite a bit, and obviously a bus wasn't going to keep working for them to get from place to place, Right. At this point, um, it's worth discussing the Blue Caprice. There's actually a movie about the shootings called just Blue Caprice. That's the car. Yeah, that's the car. It's a Chevrolet. It's a big, old-timey, clunky piece of shit. It was a 1990s model. Um, are you, do you know what these look like? I'm going to look it up. Yeah. 1990s. Yeah, it's, I don't know why, but for some reason, the car feels menacing to me. It's almost like Christine. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I see it. Well, I'm looking. I obviously, see this blue crystal. It does look like. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's, oh. that's an odd color. I feel like I don't see cars like that. Right. So, fun fact: it used to be an undercover police car. Oh. Yeah, before huh. they bought it. So it was actually a strategically good buy for them because, for one, it was obviously cheap. I mean, look, at you can tell it was cheap. For another one, it was a huge vehicle. Yeah. Because, like I said, like because they had no money, they were living inside the car, and then they would also just shoot people through a modified trunk that had a hole cut in it to oh allow a gun barrel to protrude. Whoa. How would you ever find them? Like, I'm, yeah. That That is like – it's so – it is so random that you're – like there, there is no, there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I, I hate to give kudos for this, but this was actually like a pretty smart move. It means the bullet, bullet casings never get lost, right? Like you shoot, oh, yeah. it, it stays in the car. You're always hidden and you can make an incredibly quick getaway. Yeah. The fact that it was a blue Caprice was also kind of a problem for a while because when they shot that guy at the Home Depot, the parking lot, Someone stupidly lied about what they saw. They said they saw a white van flee the scene. So police were on the lookout for a white van, which like, that's like one out of every five vehicles on the highway. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, don't get into one. Don't We've get already in. covered that. But like, Last but yeah, thing. why? But that's wildly different than a blue caprice. So if you're looking for a white van, you're not at all in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's a sad story about how, like, at one, one point, the police found two guys in a white van. They were like, we got the guys, we got the guys. It turned out to be, like, two immigrants who were illegal, and they ended up getting deported. Like, oh, some, people, some people just want to be a part of a story. Like, they're such losers. They want to be, a, like, close to a story. Yeah. So it's like, I saw something. It's like, you didn't see shit. Oh, shit. So let's get into the arrests. So five days after that last shooting on October 24th, the two were asleep in the car at a truck stop when police were tipped off by people who were at that stop. I'm going to, I label this part INS side quest because there is an INS component of this that comes in handy. I didn't mention this before, but at one point while John and Lee were at the homeless shelter in Bellingham, Lee got picked up by the INS for being an illegal immigrant. Okay. And because of this, he had his fingerprints taken. Ooh. At one of the crime scenes early on when they weren't using the rifle or using like a handgun, he'd used a, a handgun, like a pistol, to shoot someone and a partial print was found on the shell casing. Okay. They matched that against the INS database to Lee. So police go to his last known whereabouts, which is where he got picked up, which is in Bellingham at this homeless shelter. And the guy who runs the shelter tells them all about John. So... They look him up and realize he had a vehicle registration in his name because that was another part that was stupid. Is like he had all this forged documentation, but he registered right. the name. Yeah, like even I know not to do that. Right. If you if you don't have to forge documentation, do it for yourself at least. Yeah. Yeah. So it all matched this blue caprice, which is the, the only way they kind of came off of the white man narrative. This info, along with the car's license plate number, is immediately disseminated throughout the D.C. metro area. So D.C., Maryland, Virginia, all these folks had this information. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously picked up on scanners by the media outlet. And that's how people were able to identify this car in the license plate was because the media just spread this everywhere. But do they think that they do? Do they know that they're the snipers or are they just trying to pick up Lee because of immigration? No, no, they, this is all tied to the sniping case. They're, they're, okay. they're like, they're like, there's some, some correlation between these disparate murders. I also didn't get into this, but they started like doing this like BTK thing of like leaving like, you know, tarot cards and like just, they yeah, started yeah, trying yeah. to do the, like tying simple, it all together. Yeah. Like the wet bandits. We know every house you guys <laughs> hit because bandits. you had the, you left the, water on every house <laughs> yeah that's exactly what they were they're going for so they get a, they're arrested without incident and i can only imagine what the interior of this car smelled like um the trial began in 2003 john was found guilty and sentenced to death lee was also found guilty but sentenced to life other he's states a child. he's a child well other states were seeking the death penalty for lee but no. Around this time, the Supreme Court had ruled in a case called Roper versus Simmons that it was against the 18th Amendment or the Eighth Amendment to execute someone for crimes they committed when they were under the age of 18. That took death off the table for Lee. So John was ultimately executed on November 10th of 2009. He made no final statement, and that was basically the end of his garbage life. 
one thing to note is that it actually does appear as though Lee did most, if not all, the murders. Hmm. That's why I said earlier, this is kind of like a Charles Manson situation. Like, John yeah. is the bad guy. For sure. But, but he like, didn't he actually did... do the thing. Interesting. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, totally. Totally. The 18th Amendment is prohibition. I just looked it up. This was the Eighth Amendment. Eighth Amendment. Okay, wait, what's the Eighth Amendment? Cruel and unusual. Ah, okay, thank you. No, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Like, he was the bastard kind of grooming this young man who obviously should, you know, killed a shit ton of people. So, yeah, he should be in jail, but yeah. Exactly. So, Lee, Lee is still in prison. He is now 37 years old. He has reached out to multiple family members of his victims and apologized for his behavior. In 2020, he got married, and he's been continuing. Is it you? Yeah, don't, ladies. There's plenty of non-incarcerated people to marry. Just go to the produce section and go find one. Go to the grocery store, find yourself a man, and <laughs> stand have next one. to the kale. Don't. I mean, regardless of his grooming or in his apologies like don't marry me in prison don't send left to serial killers i don't know what the appeal is but yeah <laughs> it goes without saying he's been denied parole continuously and realistically yeah. he's probably just going to stay in jail forever mm-hmm. um so i kept teasing the motive taylor yeah. what do you think the motive was i don't know fame guns to get his kids back <laughs> those are my guesses the motive was he wanted to kill Mildred, but he, he knew that if he went to kill Mildred, they would know it was him. Oh, so he was killing other people. So it would seem like a random thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so dumb. Like he killed all these people or had them killed so just that he could... to circle back to Mildred and kill her eventually. Oh my God. And Mildred is fine. She's thriving. She's thriving. Yeah. Ugh, that is so dumb. Those poor people. Yeah. So that's the story. Like I said, look, I think that on Mildred's front, learning that he's married after you've been dating, like it was all a foregone conclusion that I thought, I, I think it was a foregone conclusion. This was, he was a psycho. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think that naturally you're, you gotta be a psycho to be able to carry on that kind of narcissistic behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think Lee was kind of just doomed from the jump. Yeah, definitely. So. Anyways, that's my story. Hopefully my voice doesn't sound too You sound rambling. great. I don't think you do. But that's okay. super sad. Yeah. I'm glad I could I'm glad I get to you. Womp womp. So what do you have for us? Today?